Welcome to the Desire to Grow podcast, a podcast focused on growth in all aspects of life, whether it's spiritual, physical, and mental, helping us grow in our careers, relationships, and hobbies. I'm your host, Sandish, and this is episode 6 with Nasir Hussain, economics PhD student at one of the top schools at just the age of 23 years old. Welcome to another episode of the Desire to Grow. Today I'll be reconnecting with one of my classmates from undergrad at Ryerson University where we both studied economics and management science, Nasir Hussain. Nasir has had quite the journey completing his undergrad at Ryerson University and then going off to do his master's at Queen's and now finally his PhD at University of Toronto. Nasir is definitely one of the smartest guys I know and when I asked him if he wanted to be a part of the educational segment as we haven't tackled that area of things yet and if he wanted to be on the show he was willing so here we are now and he's had quite the story quite the journey and it'd be great to hear his insight his mindset um, how he got to where he is today. So welcome to the show, Nasir. Can't wait to talk. Ah, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the, the one thing with these shows, like it's always desired to grow. So centered around that growth mindset. So when you hear this term, the growth mindset, what, what does that mean to you? Um, so growth mindset, the way I sort of look at it is um, knowing, firstly, like knowing where you currently stand. So you have to, for growth to actually occur, you have to be humble enough to actually really ask yourself and say, okay, where am I currently positioned? And based on that position, where am I aiming for? And this could be with, in regards to, doesn't have to be in regards to education. It could be with your relationships. It could be with your family. It could be with uh, sports. It could be anything. It's just, mm-hmm. it really starts with you being humble enough to understand where you currently are and um, yeah, that, that sort of sets out your aim, um, something that's more realistic, where, how, where you can aim for. Um, so how growth mindset really starts with you understanding your current position, I would say. Yeah, no, um, I agree with that. And, and, and when you say the aim, um, what are like some ways that you've, or some aims that you've kind of had like recently that you've been aiming for? I think the, the, one of the things that I sort of learned as I, um, as I progressed through life uh, in my uh, really young age of 23 years, uh, I don't have much life experience, but from what I did experience is sometimes it's okay to aim low. And that also takes, that also requires you to be humble. It, uh, it really requires you to be humble. Like if I, if I'm working out, I'm not going to go and, say, okay, I'm going to go and bench press 500 pounds or something. You know, I understand where I am and where I could be is something that I have to really ask myself um, and the time as well, right? You have to be realistic with yourself. It's honestly the way that you look at growth is a growth mindset starts with how well you really understand who you are and your desire to put, who, desire to, um, to know who you potentially could be so it's sort of a reflection between your current and future self. That's the way I look at uh, a growth mindset, um, per se. So. Yeah, no, I definitely like that, that view that you're taking towards it. I feel like humility sometimes is so important um, in, in terms of that, because sometimes to, to put yourself in a position of humility, 
um, when you're growing and when you let that ego kind of kick in, that kind of stunts your growth in a way too, right? So staying humble, I think is definitely an important aspect of that. Um, no, that's really nice. And um, so now uh, you've had a, quite a story. I, I, you did say a young age of 23, but at the, t- at the age of 23, you are doing your PhD. So that's something that's quite amazing. Um, but I'd love to hear more about you, your story. Um, and yeah, just a bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't, I would say going back like to middle school or high school, I wasn't always like the smart kid or whatever it was. I was, um, to be frank, I, I really didn't really care about school that much. Um, and then, um, you know, like you start to, I, I guess it's not one day it happened. Just over time, you work hard and you sort of become attracted to knowing that there are results that you can achieve and how you, so you sort of see. So I like, again, it's the whole theme for me is like your present and the future. Right. So I kind of envisioned what my life would would be if I took if I took life seriously. And so that sort of motivated me to work hard in whatever I did. But also, on the other hand, it was also like I could also envision what my life could have been had I not worked hard, you know? Um, so that was a bit, uh, that was a bit scary. So the, the motivation worked both ways. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I have no regrets. I think um, I really enjoyed my experience at Ryerson. Um, great school, met great people. Um, some of my good friends I met at Ryerson. Loved Queens, Queens, great atmosphere. Um, and I'm enjoying UFT now. It's been, it's been great to me. I've been very lucky. Yeah. So j- just uh, one thing that sticked out to you. So I, I, for me, I mean, I saw you at Ryerson, you always seemed like a super smart guy to me, but you said it wasn't kind of linear. What, what was that like moment or was there a moment in there that like, that you wanted to switch your mind? Was it some experience or what made you want to go from like, okay, I'm not really working that hard to like, now I'm like going to put in the effort and I'm going to, I'm going to develop myself. Like, was there, was there a spark like that came into that or how did you go about that? That's a good question. Um, I guess sort of, I, I, I thought of it as an experiment. I was like, um, you know, well, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life right now that I know I, I'm not really enjoying, you know, like I, I, I really enjoyed sports, you know, I really played sports, but, um, you know, I physically, I couldn't be a, a basketball player or a soccer player or something along those lines, you know, and, I sort of thought to myself, I'm like, okay, so what else really interests you? And I actually took, um, in high school, I took an AP economics course, which I loved. Uh, my teacher, uh, Ms. Klein, um, she really dedicated her time, you know, and I really appreciate that. And I sort of became interested in understanding how, how it is that sort of people interact, how it, how it, is, that, how it is that certain systems work, certain markets, how, do, how is it that markets work? Um, that was like my general exposure to economics. So I wouldn't say I was all that invested in school in high school, but like I, I became really attracted to like economics and math and it's just another way of seeing the world. And it's a way that you could have a clear vision of how to see, how to to understand how things work, you know, like for instance, I mean, a doctor knows how, how, this, how the body works, you know, and an economist think they know, economists think they know how the economy works, but 
that's uh, that's another conversation. But yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of what motivated me taking that class with my high school teacher, and from there it was game. Yeah. And I think I really want the audience to hear this too. I think what's really important here is like you said, you literally like sports, but it was kind of like you had that mentality, but kind of shifting it towards something else. And when you took economics, that, that class, um, was it an economics class, sorry, that you took at high school? Okay. So I think the really important thing there is like take courses because you never know what you're not, what you're going to like and what you're not going to like. Like if you didn't take that course, you probably would have a full different view of economics. Right. So I think it's, yeah, I mean, Exactly. Yeah. They say you're one decision away from a whole different life, you know, and that was the decision that sort of brought me here today to speak to you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> so no. that's nice. No, I love that. And well, that's great. That's definitely a nice story. And um, for you also now, like uh, you, of course, graduating, we all go different routes. Like I decided to go kind of the, the corporate route for you. You decided to kind of keep going with education um why do you go the route of okay i don't want to really work right away in the corporate setting and i want to kind of uh pursue my economics what was kind of your what was the reason you kind of went that route so when i finished my undergrad i um i wasn't i was also i was really eager to learn more i guess um for me i didn't really have any out like I didn't have any options besides learning and that's sort of something that I put onto myself um, just because I wasn't I, I guess I was I wasn't really satisfied with um, with what I had in terms of what I know about economics you know because it's such a broad topic and um, doing the master's really helped um, really helped me understand sort of the theory behind economics um, which is super important. Uh, and then also, I kind of envisioned the masters to be a way where I could actually learn a lot from. So one thing I, one thing I learned during my master's is that you actually learn a lot more from your peers than you do from courses, like professors, you know, um, and not, it's not only learning about the material, but it's learning about life skills, you know, skills that you're going to use day to day for the rest of your life, you know. Um, I was super grateful for having great friends uh, at Queens, you know, Annabelle, Etienne, you know, these guys were great people. Um, yeah. So what was the question again? <laughs> I think yeah. I went on yeah. a tangent. So, so yeah, yeah. So that the, the taking a step back from there though, like, so when you made that decision, like, of course you can kind of, so of course your, your, your goal was learning more, right? You're fascinated with economics. But even through that, couldn't you technically have got a job at like as a policymaker or an economist or like, why did you decide to go the route of doing a master's versus just getting a job, economic related job in the corporate role? What was your kind of thought process there? Right, right. Um, I think with, I think pursuing more education, I really wanted to get the tools. That's the key. Um, I think with the undergrad, it prepared you to have sort of the, the baseline knowledge of being an economist, uh, maybe an analyst, but to do true economic, I guess, research, if you want to do, if you're interested in research or any topics and you want to understand why things work, the obvious choice is to do more, I guess, more schooling, because that's where you sort of learn and you have the time to actually learn. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, I sort of valued the learning more than actually getting the, the, the sort of the hands-on experience right away. Um, 
but I do, I do have to say, um, you do learn a lot uh, pursuing a master's. Uh, nowadays, most economists do have masters um, and you do really learn a lot during your master's. Um, and also a PhD, I mean, so far it's been a lot of learning. Um, yeah. You really push yourself, you learn a lot about yourself. That's the key. Um, the type of person you are, how you learn best, under what sort of environments. Um, you really learn a lot about yourself and that's the key that I would say um, helps you, helps you in terms of uh, yeah. do you, a better do you, economist. Do you feel like it's also a, a step like you doing that education, it kind of matures you in a quicker way? Because like you said, I feel like maturing is all about getting to know, know yourself better. So you, you, one thing you highlighted was like, you getting to know yourself a lot better, but also going, I guess, to more the PhD side. So you did talk about it. Um, as a first year kind of student uh, in, in a PhD of economics, um, how's the curriculum like? Like, what are you learning in your first year? And what's kind of the mindset that they're instilling into you in, in, in PhD, especially at UFT? I know UFT is one of the top schools here in Canada. So what are they kind of, uh, how are they prepping you to kind of do this program? Um, so, I guess all schools in all PhD programs in economics, most that I know of, uh, it's pretty standard in terms of what they, in terms of the first year, the courses you take. So you do take your, it's all theory. Uh, first year is completely theory. So uh, they're gonna pack you with the micro, macro and econometrics, um, both in the fall and winter semester. And uh, after that, you do take two comprehensive exams. And those are for micro and macro. Um, and that sort of determines, I guess that, that covers basically everything that you need to have learned for micro and macro for you to be, I guess, an economist, um, to know about, I guess, about micro and macro economics. Um, so that's sort of the standard, um, that they teach you. Um, there is a lot of coding as, as well. Um, mm. you use MATLAB, Python, uh, Stata, I guess, uh. So that's sort of the, the first year, what it is. It's mostly courses. Okay. And then a big thing with PhDs, I feel at least like it, it goes more deep, right? It goes that you do your own research topic. Um, you kind of have your thesis. Um, is that something, wh when do you kind of get into that? And also one thing I've noticed with the PhD too, it doesn't have a set time frame. Like you have your, your master's that has one or two years and you have your degree of just four years. Why is a PhD uh, so variable in a sense? And is it because like, it depends on your research, your thesis, or have you got into that at all? Are you starting to look in your thesis? What's the whole shebang about kind of that? Yeah, so um, for my master's, I wrote a thesis paper uh, with uh, Professor Brant David. Um, yeah, yeah, I covered mostly, I, I kind of looked at wealth and inequality and uh, understanding like, um, whether the, this wealth inequality is driven by cohort effects or uh, time effects. That is, is it, uh, is the wealth inequality due to younger cohorts becoming more unequal or is it that inequalities uh, is rising across all cohorts? Uh, that was sort of my master's thesis, which I, which I wrote under the supervision of Dr. Abit. Um, in the PhD program, you really don't start doing research until your third year. So, the way the program is structured, most programs, it's first two years, you sort of, the first year you learn the theory, you kind of go more into the theory. And in the second year, you learn 
you take courses that you're interested in. So your field courses, um, mm -hmm. whether it's like development, macro, labor, whatever it is. And then the third year is when you actually write a paper. Um, and so that's when you really start to dig into your research. So that's why most PhD programs in economics really ranges from five to, the standard was four years, but you don't get that anymore. So now it's more about six years. That's probably like the, the equilibrium, about six years. Okay. Okay, no, cool. And uh, is it like, I guess it's variable depending on your research. Like you said, it, after you, at that third year, when you choose your research topic, um, it kind of all depends on what you're really doing. How long to it, what's the assessment period there? Because when you're writing exam, you're assessed on your exam or your, your assignments. How do you kind of get assessed on a PhD? Is it like, because it's research. Um, how is your, how's your professor, whoever you're dealing with kind of uh, tabulating or I'm marking your year to year, like in, in a PhD program there. Right, so your academic progress. Um, with research, it's, with research, it's not so linear, right? Uh, yeah. You're gonna have, you're gonna have a lot of bad days and then boom, there's gonna be a good day. And it's, uh, that's all that, that matters, right? You kind of wait for those good days, whether it's uh, your code isn't running or whether it's uh, your data's, your data doesn't match the theory um, or your topic is not so interesting. All of these sort of stuff, it, ha it, it's, it doesn't have to be linear, right? So um, especially with economics nowadays, um, it's hard to do, it's hard to kind of publish, I guess, bullshit. Um, yeah, because there's a lot of, as a PhD student, if you want to publish, you're basically competing with professors as well, right? Because yeah. you're publishing in the same journals. And so the quality, quality is important. And also it's, it's very weird with economics that the, it takes a long time to publish. So, I mean, if you submit a paper, it might take you a year or two to hear back or something. So that's pretty lengthy. Um, I don't know if this is just an economics thing or if it's other fields as well, but that's, uh, that's sort of the, Okay. What's happening in economics. And, and the step to get to the next level, I guess, to get your degree or graduate with that PhD, is it kind of when you publish your, your paper or what's that, what's that, what's that trigger point of where it, now you're a PhD? Like, is there, is it, like you said, it's not linear. So I'm guessing it's different for everyone, but um, I guess you seeing future PhD students, how did, it, what was the step they had to take to finally get that PhD? Oh man. Um, <laughs> I, so I actually have a friend that's on the job market right now. And um, yeah, I feel like you need to write, write, write good papers. Um, so I believe it's three papers that you need to write, um, three separate papers that you need to have um, for your dissertation. Um, and so the way, the way that I understand it is that, I don't know, it's kind of weird. In economics, you get a job before you finish your PhD. So at least that's from my friends that are on the job market this year, um, they don't have their PhDs, but they could potentially get a job and then they could get their PhDs. So I guess that's how it works in economics. But I'll let you know more in uh, the next yeah. few years when I'm on the market, hopefully. Yeah, no, for sure. No, thanks for all the insight. So I guess going more to like the P, uh, getting into the PhD now, because I guess this is something you've actually experienced. Um, what does it take to like get into a PhD program? Because I feel like, of course, the master's or undergrad, it's pretty like you look at the resources, you, you check 
ABC, okay. But I feel like with a PhD, it's not just like you check these boxes, it's much more than that. So um, what did you yeah. do, I guess? And also what does it take to get into like a PhD program, especially at such a young age at 23? Yeah. Um, I think you need to check all those boxes and then there's another box that you have no control over and that box is called luck. Uh, you need to also have luck on your side as well. Um, because I mean, there's exceptional people. Um, there's a lot of applicants. Um, this year, our cohort, uh, we have, I believe, 17 people. And uh, we probably had over 300, maybe, applicants. Wow. Um, so it's pretty competitive. Um, and so the main thing is you need, to, you need to be the sort of, you need to, everyone sort of does well in undergrad, masters, um, research, good reference letters. Reference letters are important. So getting to know your professors and them getting you, getting them knowing you, that's important. Um, and also I think having the right resources at an early, I guess, early step. So you need to be able to talk to someone, like you need to, you need to sort of decide you want to do a PhD in like high school. So they, you could choose the right courses, you know, in your undergrad and in your master's. But if you want to say, okay, I want to do a PhD when I'm in my master's, it's going to be pretty hard to get into a good school if you don't have the preparations. Because a lot of these PhD programs, they want to know that you're capable of surviving. That's their, that's their number one goal. And then uh, also thriving as well. So you need to take a lot of math courses, uh, some, some, some really cool math courses you need to take, and they're fun. Um, and you need to, yeah, you need to show that you're willing to learn. That's, that's about it. So and the rest is luck. Yeah, so I, I, do, I do agree, of course, with the courses, right? But I feel like out of those 300, they probably all had the GPA. But how do they go now? Is it like an interview process that they do? Like, how do they know that this is the person? Psycholo like, psychologically, like, like you said, they have to have the desire to learn. I guess they have to have that mindset, right? It's not just the grades. It's like the interactions, who they are. Um, was there an interview process? Or like, what else was there besides, of course, the application? I think the grades are necessary, but not sufficient. Um, yeah. Sort of the interviews are, we don't, we don't have interviews. There was no, for the PhD programs I applied, there was no interviews. Okay. Um, the main thing is your reference letters. So that's sort of the interview, uh, the hidden interview, uh, you know, and it's academia, it's a small, it's a small world, you know. Mm -hmm. um, someone could pick up a phone and say, hey, I have a great student. He's a great fit with this professor. I see. Cool. So that's, that's the key. So the biggest takeaway there, of course, I think then is like, be, be an exceptional student, right? Be like, be the one where you could stand out. And I, I know this because you were in my classes and you were always a standout. So and it's also, I feel like taking another step, right? Like building those connections. Cause some people just go to class and they, they don't challenge, they don't take the step above to challenge their teacher. One thing I know you always did is you always challenge the teacher on different topics. So that's how you kind of stay memorable, right? I think that's what's gonna really help, help you on your reference letter. So I guess to the audience listening to this, uh, one thing I want them to understand, at least from Nasir's point of view, what I think is that stand out in your class, like don't be the typical. And if you really want that reference letter to be something, like you have to kind of, you have to earn it, right? And you, have, you can do that, of course, by standing out in class. Um, okay, nice. Um, so even in economics now, um, of course, you got to where you were. You said it was a bit of luck. It was, of course, hard work. But what are some resources? Because, of course, everyone has to work hard. But 
what are resources yeah. that you used or helped you really along your way to on your path to come like where you are now? Um, so I'm, I'm grateful. I was, I was exceptionally lucky to, uh, to do some research at Ryerson. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I worked with, um, Dr. Osborne, um, in the anthropology department. So I did, so my, in undergrad, I did research in uh, linguistic anthropology, uh, which was super interesting work, um, qualitative, super interesting, um, sparked my curiosity about research. Um, and sort of, I transitioned that into economics and I said, okay, there are all of these, there are all of these questions out there. How can I best go and approach these? Um, and I had some, in my undergrad, I had great guidance from the economics department, especially professor Herman Lupato, Dr. Amy Peng, she was great. Um, and having those guidance at a, in second year, you know, even first year, you know, like they sort of. They have a PhD. They know how it works. Um, they're professors. They know how the whole thing works. So, being able to go to them and say, "Hey, I want to be in your shoes one day." You know, I'm, I, I, I envision myself, my future. I envision myself being a professor at Ryerson University. How would I be able to get there from the current position that I'm in? You know, um, and I sort of saw that in me. You know, I said I could see myself in your, in your shoes. You know, what do I need to do? Um, and my sort of advice to anybody that's interested in academia, um, doing a PhD in economics is take, take courses that you're really interested in, take math because math is the language that us economists communicate in. Um, take as many math courses as you can, um, just because you're going to be a better communicator, uh, you'll understand the language better. Um, but also take economic courses that you're really interested in, you know, um, you're going to work harder as a result mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to meet like-minded people who are going to push you to work even harder. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the beauty that I saw in my courses. And that's the beauty that that's the beauty of school. You know, that's why you do school. You learn from people. Yeah. And did you feel that was more common when you got into your master's? Cause like, and the more deeper you got into your education, because like you said, you learn from your, from your, from your uh, student, student, fellow students or whoever it may be. But I feel like in the undergrad level, there's also, there's all, it's very big. Like remember sitting in that first year economics class, micro macro, there's like an auditorium of 400 students. So like, um, I guess what I'm trying to get to is in that setting, like what do you have to, of course, besides grades, what do you do really to differentiate yourself? Is it like, and how do you, how do you find those, those colleagues, uh, find those students that you, that you can really ch- help you challenge you? So like, what do you, how do you go about that? Like, or what tips would you give students sitting in their first year economics class to find that network and also differentiate themselves in that, and they're putting themselves in like your shoes in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Be friends with the person that asks a lot of questions. <laughs> that's uh no i'm kidding i'm kidding um what i would say is um like you always learn from others you know it's like one of the assumptions that i i sort of have is that assume that the person you're talking to knows something that you don't and with that assumption every conversation is going to be meaningful you know mm-hmm. um and sort of that's sort of what i uh what i kind of base my my communication on um you know and on an undergrad you learn different things you know um, whether it's uh, how to learn a mat- like materials best or um, how to stay in shape, you know, like it's, it's like it's not, not everything has to be about 
school, you know, because there are other things that sort of improve your performance in school, even if you're not worrying about school, you know, like if it's like you getting out of bed earlier or you reading books, you know, or you cooking, uh, you learn, you always learn from people. And in undergrad masters, like you learn different things, you know, like for instance, in my masters, I, um, I really learned how to work in a team, you know, that was the first time where it's like, okay, I have an opinion and the person next to me also has an opinion and my opinion is being challenged, you know, and I have to kind of understand where, where, where they're sort of looking at this problem from, you know, what's their perspective, you know, and that was like sort of the first time where you kind of work in a team and you kind of understand the differences and appreciate those differences. And I guess that like during my master's, I think that's, that was one of the big key uh, takeaways. Um, and then, I mean, everyone, like everywhere, like in an undergrad master, it doesn't matter. People are always working hard. You know, they're working hard in their own ways. Um, some are working harder than others. Um, but I find that most people that I've communicated with, they work hard. Um, and honestly, that motivates you. So, yeah. No, I'm in full agreement. I think it's all kind of who you surround yourself with. And depending on who you surround yourself with, that can really affect, I feel like, how you do in university too. Because if you're surrounding yourself with people who are kind of not motivated, um, like you said, maybe challenging professors, asking questions, that's kind of going to be how you handle yourself too. And I do agree so wholeheartedly that stuff outside of school is important too, because I used to see you at the gym all the time. I mean, we, that's where we, I think we really became friends uh, through the gym. Um, I remember going to our class and then later we'd go to the gym. And then I think that was a big part of it too, because like you said, sometimes you need that break in between classes and having that place to ment uh, physically develop yourself mentally develops yourself too. So um, I think that's very true. Um, so I guess also with going, it kind of relates to this too, but um, what are some like of the study or like learning habits that you have inhibit? Because everyone has, I think, some type of, of course, like you said, everyone works hard. But I feel like if you inhibit some good habits, like, of course, you, like I said, almost every, you always ace every test. Um, what were some of the habits I think that you had? I think your habits were really important that you stay true to yourself to kind of get, do good in school and like get good grades. Yeah, I think, um, I think the key was, um, the key is always having a routine, you know, no matter what it is that you do, uh, whether it's school, if it's your job, it's family, having a routine, you know, and um, you have to really understand, okay, you have to really understand yourself. You have to say, okay, well, if I, um, if I want to get sort of, if you want to quantify it, if I want to get an A plus in this course, what is, what is it that I need to do to achieve that A plus? And you have to be realistic with yourself. That's the part about being humble. Uh, is an A plus achievable given my current constraints, my current circumstances, you know, and you base your routine based on your goals, sort of, you envision your future self, your future self at the end of the semester would be, have a 4.0 GPA. What do I need to do to get there? You have to ask yourself, you got to really be honest with yourself. Um, having a routine that enables you to do that, you know, whether if it's studying from night, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or whatever, or maybe going, not going to the gym, you know, I do recommend going to the gym. It helps a lot. Uh, yeah. But having a routine, that's, that's really what helps you a lot. Um, and having friends or having people that you can talk to about the material clears up your mind. Uh, speaking with your professors, um, it's sort of with anything, you know, in the beginning, it's really hard. 
it's freaking hard. It's anything you do in the beginning is hard. I went skating last night and it was so hard. <laughs> I kid you not. It was so hard. Uh, but as you keep going and as you keep, uh, as you keep going at it and as you keep falling and as you keep uh, trying, it becomes easier and it becomes more worthwhile, you know, and that sort of motivates you. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. It's something you have to keep doing. Like uh, consistency is important there, right? Like keeping it routine. You, if you're if you're doing your routine only once in a week, you're only going to get like those kind of results, right? But if you're if you're staying consistent, building a routine out of it, um, that's definitely going to help. I'm, now I'm kind of curious, though, going deeper into here. What was kind of your typical routine, or what is your typical routine when it comes to like um, being in the undergrad or being in your master's now in your PhD? Um, what's your routine like? to like how you're doing so well uh well first thing first make sure you go to the gym at least for me it was the gym it uh it was an outlet um really helps clear your mind um i found that was helpful um filters the way you your thought process you know after a long day you go and you work out and then call it a night eating well helps a lot um and then last but not least, you have to put in the work. You have to study. Uh, I mean, everyone works hard. Um, you just have to know yourself and you have to know how much, how hard you need to work. Um, and I guess you do push the limits. Like in the PhD program, you do push the limits. You have to work exceptionally yeah. hard uh, all the time, you know, and um, you change as a person. You, you really develop as a person. Um, whether if it's, learning economics, it's just, again, learning about yourself and who you are as a person. That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. No, I'm in full agreement there. Of course, with the gym too, but like you finding yourself, I feel like is the biggest facet of growth and learning because once you're able to know who you are as a person, that's kind of where all the growth starts, right? Because now you're able to determine your weaknesses. You're able to determine your strengths. You're able to know what areas you have to focus on more, what areas you have to focus on less. And I really like how you said, like, it's not overnight, you're going to improve as you go. But um, it's always a it's, it's a journey, right? It's not it's not like you're going to get there and uh, overnight, right? It's a, it's a process of, of getting better and better and smarter and smarter. Um, but um, I do agree the routine is key, like even me, like the routine has helped me so much and me having a base routine, um, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's like doing simple things like going for certain walks or meditation, Having that time to calm yourself and then get back to the grind, I think is so important because it refreshes you and then you're ready to go back at it, right? You're revamped. Um, so I'm full agreement there. But um, also, I guess here is like, is there any like, uh, of course, it's hard work, but do, do would you say there's any study hacks or are there any hacks that you know, like, it could be anything, whether it's like using a certain software or like, uh, how you take notes? Is there like any hacks or any study hacks that you use? or any tips you can give someone who wants to get better at studying or getting even focusing more? Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I've been doing this more now, uh, going on walks, like you mentioned, really helps clear your mind. Um, I mean, it, it's there, it's good for your mental health. Um, for specific, I would say, if you don't know after the lecture, if, you, if there's something that you don't really understand, um, mm -hmm. try to review that material right away and try to see what it is that you don't understand. Um, and then ask your professors, honestly, like they're there to teach you. And if you don't understand the material, 
it's 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 sort of uh, it's sort of your duty to go and uh, try to try to seek help. Um, mm. I mean, that's one of the things that I've I've experienced as well. You know, in the PhD program and the masters, it's like if I don't know something, I need to go seek seek help. And you have to be honest with yourself. Here's the other thing. I'm I'm super big on this idea of being humble. It's like sometimes you have to aim very low. Like it's, it's true. You have to aim very low. You know, you got to say, okay, I don't understand this stuff. Why is it that you don't understand yourself? This stuff might be covered in like a first year economics course, but you don't understand it. You know, you have to be humble with yourself and say, I don't understand it. Professor, even though it's a PhD course, I don't understand it. Ask. If you don't ask, you'll never know. You know, it's better to ask and look foolish for like a few seconds, you know, than to never know. Yeah. I, I so agree. I think it's so important. It's all about acceptance, right? I feel like a lot of students, especially, um, of course, you develop yourself at the master's PhD level, but undergrads, like, they're so, it's so hard for them to accept, the, accept their weaknesses. And if they don't know something, they'll sometimes keep leaving it off. Like, they won't go into it till the mid to mid, 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 like the a midterm review comes or something, right? Like, they're not doing it right away. But I think one thing that stood out to me is like, do it right away. If you don't get it at that moment, why not clarify it at that moment? Because I feel like the thought will eventually go away. And then when you come to the exam, you're like, you're all over the place. So um, yeah. definitely, I think an important takeaway, not only for school, I think that goes towards anything, right? If you're in a career, um, why wait? If it's, it's a few seconds, like you said. So if you could get that doubt out right away, just, just do it. I feel like that's really good and important. Um, so no, that's great, Nasir. And, um, now going towards, I guess, more people in your life, of course, you did talk about a lot of professors, but if you had to choose, if you can choose, like who has been the most influential person in your life, if you had to kind of choose one? Um, I would say for this, I would say it, it has to be my mom. Uh, she's been there for me since day one, um, sort of motivated me from the get go, um. You know, she, um, she, she did her master's uh, back in the day, you know, and um, she's always been big on education. Mm. You know, education is like the great equalizers. Equalizer in, in any sort of domain. I feel like, uh, I feel like doing, going through school, like I learned a lot, but not really about economics as well. You know, you learn a lot about, like I said, yourself, mm. and that's the key. Um, that's the key that I guess my mom was trying to preach to me. It's like, it's not always about, it's, it's, it's not always about doing school for the sake of school. It's like learning school. So it's like, you're sort of learning, but part of that learning comes, uh, by learning about yourself, you know, who you are, you know, as a person, uh, what are your strengths? Like you said, what are your weaknesses, you know? Um, and that's something that uh, my mom's been preaching to me indirectly. And now I sort of understand what it meant, you know, yeah. and uh, it's, 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 I'm, I'm forever thankful for her and grateful. Um, she's been, uh, she's been a big support for me uh, in all, all different ways, you know? Yeah, no, I, I would, I would I, say she's the most influential person in my life. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Uh, I feel like a lot of people can resonate, of course, when it comes to you doing something in your path that, of course, like you said, your mom's there since day one or your parent, your parent could be anyone is there since day one. So having that kind of platform to see what they're passionate about kind of go, it goes on to the kids too, right? Like, like you said, education. And I feel like 
one thing that stood out to me there is like, and it's been standing out to me out the, throughout the whole episode is the way you view education. I feel like, like you said, some people view school as school. Like I have to do this, but if you view it as finding yourself, like, I feel like that's so much more powerful because if, if it's like, it's like, it's not the PhD of, 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 of economics. It's a PhD of Nasir Hussain, right? It's a PhD of me becoming a better person, me learning better, me being fascinated with what's going on. So um, I, a big takeaway for me here is like, I think that it's really important to find yourself um, because that's going to stem towards how well you do and in, in how you are. So um, no, I, I really like that Nasir. Um, so I really enjoyed this episode. Um, one question if you, I, I did want to ask too, this is, I guess, outside of work. You did touch on this with the gym, but what are some things you like to do outside of, outside of being a PhD student, a steady grind? Uh, I know you said you go to the gym, but is there anything else that you, that you really like to do? Now I've, I've picked up a hobby of uh, walking. Um, I live by the water, so walking down to the water, you know, and I tend to walk now every day. Um, that really helps um, listening to podcasts. That's, uh, that's also something that's, uh, that's something that uh, I do nowadays. Um, I really like basketball. I mean, because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to play as much. Um, that's something that I do miss. Um, and honestly, yeah, I mean, I'm living a simple life. Uh, something that I, I have a routine and I look forward to, you know, and it's sort of a privilege to have hobbies, I guess. Uh, and some of my hobbies, you know, appreciate. I, I used to cook. I uh, don't have much time to cook anymore. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, but yeah, I would say walking, you know, that's, that's a big thing for me. Now. Yeah. And uh, I do agree. These are all good hobbies. But how have these hobbies really helped you, you think, grow as a person? Like walking has been the recent one. Um, what's one of the biggest um, benefits you've seen from walking um, for you, like mentally, physically, um, that you've seen? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it's like the past few days, it's been great, man. You see sunsets, you see there's more to life, you know? <laughs> uh, if you're stuck on like a, a problem, you kind of go and refresh yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and also not now, but like when I played basketball, I met some great people. Honestly, it was, it was a great, it's a great way to bring the community together and uh, really build your networks. Uh, so you sort of, sort of when I, when I look at hobbies, it's, it's mostly to facilitate um, community. You know, um, some of my great friends I met through uh, basketball, you know, um, and it's something that uh, I'm thankful for, you know? Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's true. It's, it's very, uh, facilitating community, um, that, that's huge because meeting, um, like you said, different people through the hobby um, inhibits like you getting, it's like you getting out of your, your day to day to kind of take a break from the, from the stresses of life um, through something you enjoy, right? And I feel like that's really what helps the growth because it gives you, it take, you take a step back from like the grind and refresh and then you get back to it. Um, so that's kind of all the questions I had, uh, Nasir. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Like, it was nice reconnecting with you after all this time. We've, we've definitely been a while since, I guess, two years. Time flies since university. Um, so coming to reconnect, seeing where we are with our lives, seeing how you've grown as a person, it's, it's been good. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show with me, and I enjoy this conversation. So 
Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. It would mean a lot if you could leave a rating on the respective platform that you are using. This will help the podcast grow. Also, sharing it with your network would be great. The next episode is going to be about corporate finance, where we talk to someone who's working on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Stay tuned to see what it takes to get companies onto the exchange and interesting insights on how the individual has grown in his role. Stay tuned. See you all next time.